Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, we are moving right along into fall, starting to cool off. I love and, it. Yeah. yeah. Cool mornings. My kids are like, why is it so cold in the morning? I say. It's a blessing. Yes, it's a blessing. It's, it's fall. Yeah, Embrace it's, it. Love it. Com- compared to, you know, midsummer where we're just outside at 8 a.m. and you're already just pouring yeah, in sweat. Yeah, midsummer, my uh, air conditioning can't even cool my upstairs. Jeez. It runs like 24-7. So now I'm like, you see, this is this is the feeling of of saving money, kids. That's what I say to <laughs> Yeah, the power bills are coming down, at least we hope so, for uh, at least the time being because yeah. it's pretty comfortable outside, so not yeah, in AC. Nice. Uh, what's new with you? You know, uh, fall, uh, kids, it's like holiday season. It's busy season with with kids. Things, you know, obviously Halloween and then Thanksgiving, a lot of festivals, a lot of fall stuff yeah. is fun. So we're, we're doing that. Each weekend's packed with fun things for the kids. And then, um, yeah, just enjoying the cooler weather, like you're saying. Actually playing outside and not feeling like you're going to die. Yeah. That's always <laughs> a, a, welcome, I, I, a welcome thing. I feel like October is like the busiest. I don't know. It like really every is. Every weekend... I, there's something on the calendar. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's like we had a wedding. Uh, yeah, I, this is post. This is post, post Matthew's wedding. That's right. So Matthew's married now. Matthew is married. Yeah, so congratulations to Matthew. Uh, yeah, Haley. Haley. It's, it was a beautiful, beautiful time. So it was really special. It's really good. And then, uh, yeah, it's been busy, busy month. How about for you and just Sarah? In, yeah, it's been busy every weekend. I feel like we've been booked up. Uh, but we're enjoying the house and all the renovations done and not working on that has been nice. Um, Good. Working through Good. foster care uh, training. We just finished that and are now in the home study process to have potentially a placement next year. That's really cool. That's yeah, exciting. It's a ministry we felt called to for uh, many years together. Um, and, you know, we've already been involved in uh, foster care in the area and just helping out through the courts and as court appointed special advocates. And now we will actually be a foster care placement family, a resource family. That's really cool. So big stuff. Yeah. Obviously got to get through all the home study stuff, which is a lot, by the way. Seems like it. Yeah. It yeah. seems like you're always graduating from one thing and moving on to the next. And then, but one day it'll be here and you'll be like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's going to be really good. Um, Just, uh, yeah. So that's been good. So yeah. Well, you know, those are some. Good updates on everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been it's just been a good year, and, and we're excited to get through the fall here. So, by the way, my name is Ryan Borders. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro and uh, one of the advisors here at Richard Young Associates. And I'm Zach Albanese, a certified financial planner as well. I've uh, been an advisor here for almost three years and in the industry for over four yeah, we're excited to have everyone listening to us today. Uh, feel free to check out our weekly show. It comes on uh, every Friday. It's a podcast, so any of the podcast platforms, feel free to find us there. Uh, you can always check us out on moneymd.net, where you can actually ask questions, find other episodes. You know, we have over 500 episodes now. So uh, as you're traveling for the holidays, check us out. and Maybe even go back and look a few years back just to see how things have changed over the years. Yeah. That's always fun. Um, yeah, so, okay, we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. Let's do it. Yeah, this is an interesting financial fact because a year ago, two years ago, this was not the case, but 
The financial fact now is work from home rates are the lowest they've been since the start of the pandemic. Wow. Which is pretty remarkable. You know, last week, someone was uh, work from home for even one day in fewer than 26% of the U.S. households. So that's down from 37% of households in early 2021, um, which is, you know, surveys. This is surveyed by the, the Consensus Bureau. Uh, as employees now push to get workers, sorry, employers push to get workers out of their yoga pants <laughs> and back at their desks, I like the way they put that. Yeah. Uh, only seven states now have a remote work rate above 33 percent wow. compared to 31 states while the pandemic was was raging. And this is uh, according to Bloomberg. So, yeah, work from home rates plummeting, which we you know we knew would be reduced, but I think the call back to the office was uh, much sharper as. As I think, I mean, I don't know about you, Ryan. For me, I can't work from home, especially with kids. It's just, I tried it when, the, obviously, the pandemic was here. I was home for a little while, and it just was, oh, it was hard, man. I mean, I just, you get interrupted with kids. You just, you just don't have the same discipline. You don't have the culture of people working around you, so yeah. it, it makes you less accountable. So, yeah, I, I understand it totally. But I know some people are obviously bummed. But yeah, well, with kids, I, I don't see how you do it. Yeah. I just don't, well, don't unless you lock yourself in a room and never come out. Yeah, but kids don't. They, you know, even if you do lock yourself in a room, they find a kid, way. They find a way, and they don't. They don't know. They don't. Yeah. It's not they don't care, but they don't know what you're doing. I mean, they don't know that you're busy and you're you're you can't be interrupted, and so it just makes it hard. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think that's ultimately no. overall a good thing. Yeah, I work I work from home one day a week typically just to really but I'm just by myself there. So just yeah. zone in, get some work done. If I don't have meetings that I usually don't have meetings on that one day. And it is a way for me to catch up and I'm usually just plowing through work and um but if I had kids, I don't I don't think so. Not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a interesting financial fact of the week. It's interesting how so many things are in a pandemic that people are like, nothing's gonna go back to what it was. I remember people are never gonna handshake again. I said, No, they will. Oh, we'll we'll go back, and I mean, I would have been okay if we didn't. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, but hey, you know, it's what we do. <laughs> Handshake, fist bump. Yeah, it's all back. Hug. It's all back. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into the first topic. This is yep. every generation makes money mistakes. Here's what they are. Yeah, yeah, this one's from Bloomberg. I like this article a lot, Ryan. This, this is interesting because it examines n- not m- money it examines money psychology, not just from a kind of a general level, but looks at different eras and when people grew up and how the money psychology is different for each uh, generation. So we're going to look at some assumptions that each generation makes, and we're going to see what are some fixes, what are some problems, what are some fixes, and we're going to start with Gen Z. So Gen Z is the labor market's newest crop of workers. They grew, they grow, or I should say, they came out of the great Recession, yeah. which happened in you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, older Gen Zers are known to prioritize saving and investing at an earlier age compared to older generations, which is good. But many are starting off with a lot more student debt, even compared to millennials. Yeah. Do Gen Zers even remember? The re- I mean, I'm a millennial and, you know, I was in high school. I yeah, they wouldn't. Like- I don't think they remembered. They grew up in the Great Recession. Yeah, so, so they they're starting. Much. They're starting their first job, like in the last uh, few years, but they but they are known to prioritize savings more. Okay. Um, yeah. So so anyway, what's the first assumption we got yeah, from the Gen Zers? Right. All debt is bad. Okay. Okay. So this is from this article. Yes, paying off debt sound is a sound strategy in the broadest sense. 
Uh, you know, but tackling debt too aggressively can have unexpected downsides. I'm interested to see what they go with here. Um, the trouble, focusing too much on eliminating cheap debt can prevent borrowers from building an emergency fund or achieving other milestones. It's almost always a good idea to pay down debts with high interest rates, such as those from credit cards, but a lot of student loans have the sort of low interest rates that are hard to come by now, and servicing them at a slower pace could help borrowers focus on other goals. Sure. So the fix from this article is you need to strike a balance, look at your bad debt and tackle that first, uh, but you want to make sure you have a sizable emergency fund before being more aggressive. Uh, I take that with a grain of salt on my opinion. I take more of the Dave Ramsey approach where sure. I do think it's best to eliminate all debt as much as fast as possible. Um, obviously, each situation warrants a different plan. It is a different world out there with these higher interest rates, though. It and is different, yeah. And this is obviously in the last just couple of years, or really last year, of higher rates. Uh, that's something we haven't been used to for over a decade. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see yeah, and I think too, like obviously there's good good debt like student loans or a mortgage where it's over a long time um, and there's obviously bad debt like credit cards. And so I do think, I, I do agree with the, like making sure you have an emergency fund, which Dave Ramsey would, would agree with too. He wants you to have an emergency fund, make sure your cash flow is good and then start tackling these debts. The snowball uh, effect I, uh, is I'm what more, I still believe in more of the psychological aspect because money's so emotional that, hey, sure. go tackle the smallest to largest um, because when you hit each one, it really keeps you going. Yep. Uh, and then do the emergency fund afterwards. That's where I take the approach. But yeah, yeah I know there's a lot of yeah. different opinions on that. But good, good, good first assumption, uh, look at your debt. The second assumption that Gen Zers will face is the labor market will stay strong. Uh, so they entered the workforce, you know, just uh, as pent up demand for goods and services coming out of the pandemic. So just the last couple of years gave rise to a strong labor market. But these early experiences may have left young workers with an overly optimistic impression about their negotiating power, right? They came into the workforce, they, they kind of felt on top of the world. The trouble though happens what, when what goes up eventually comes down and the ripple effect of higher interest rates to fight off inflation has already tilted the scales back in favor of employers. And for evidence, look at uh, no further than the mass layoffs in the tech world or banking uh, or the more recent push by employers, as we just mentioned in the financial fact, to return to the office. Um, so the fix for this is even when it's hard to switch jobs or negotiate higher wages, continuously build and reevaluate your skills. You know, one tip I, this article pointed out that I liked is um, keep doing external interviews. Even if you're happy with your job, just do interviews to um, know kind of what your value in the market is. It helps broaden your perspective, helps you stay on your toes. Uh, I thought that was an interesting fix for making sure you're you're not just getting settled, but you're you're always seeing what's out there. I think that's a good tip for folks that are, especially early in their careers. Yeah, next is with millennials, you and me. There we go. That's Here right. We go. So what is it? So they're getting older and hitting a lot of those delayed milestones, such as marriage, home ownership, and children. We that's would right. check all those boxes. Uh, but higher costs of education, housing, healthcare are making it harder to save. That's true. It is true. Uh, so here's the first assumption, risks are best avoided. Um, researchers have long noted millennials' risk aversion in life and investments often attributed to their experiences in the Great Recession, which yep. we remember. Um, the trouble, skipping out on risk also means skipping out on reward. 
During last year's uh, stock route, millennials were more likely than other generations to ditch the market. That means they missed a market rally yep. too. Hmm, that's really interesting. Um, the fix, uh, taking on risk doesn't mean investing in individual stocks. You can be aggressive with a diversified portfolios of mutual funds or ETFs. Or even in your 401k, there are target date funds that are a great place while uh, while you're working uh, to get money invested and diversified. Uh, super easy funds to get into. Target date funds are also nice because they'll automatically adjust as you age. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anytime you invest, there's risk. That's why you're paid for it. That's why you get a return. Sure. Yeah. And so you, you do have to, you know, ride out those periods in That's order right. to be rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. I think this one is um, probably more relevant or more, I see this more frequently. The second assumption is I should have my parents' lifestyle by now. Uh, you know, advisors like us and other advisors that they polled uh, say, say they see the common mistake with workers nearing their peak earning years. They, they assume that because they're in their 30s and 40s, you know, they should have lifestyles that were similar to their parents when they were that age. The trouble though is as we've mentioned, you know, times have changed. Millennials are paying a median of 328000 on homes compared to 216000 the price which boomers, baby boomers, had to pay at a similar age. Uh, what's more is professionals in their 30s and 40s sometimes make the mistake of comparing themselves to their parents when they moved off to college, forgetting that their parents were later on in their careers by that point, often in their 50s yeah. and 60s. Yeah. So the, the fix here is to really caution against lifestyle creep which means you're spending more as your salary increases. And if you're working hard and getting paid more uh, and, you, and you want to increase your lifestyle, that's fine, but make sure you're increasing your investing and your spending rate as well. A lot of times people will just spend more and, and not save and invest more. So that's a fix for that. And also you don't, you don't necessarily, you can't expect to have their parents' lifestyle because times are different than they used to be. And so, yeah. yeah. And then also you just, you don't view your parents as when you were, when they were your age. Exactly. So you're thinking of them in their sixties maybe. Yeah. Or for you in their eighties. Yeah. <laughs> as your dad. Uh, my dad is in his eighties. Yes. Correct. That yes. is uh, more unusual, but uh, sorry. The, um, yeah, that's the other thing is like, I don't really, you know, it's hard to remember where my dad was when he was 32. Sure. Right. And so you're just thinking of your dad as now with way more savings and, and later exactly. on. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the next uh, group here, Gen X. Uh, a lot of today's mid-40s, 50-somethings are moving into the role of the sandwich generation because they are stuck between twin pressures. They're caring for children and they're caring for aging parents. So what are some assumptions here, Ryan? First assumption, here we go. My kids will pay for college like I did. Uh. Huh. Uh, it's one of the biggest, most out-of-date assumptions. Uh, Gen X parents paid, um, you know, paid their way uh, through college. So, you know, you expect, you know, your children do the same. The trouble with that, college prices have skyrocketed. And they have, yes. Yeah, the average cost of tuition and fees at a four-year public school has gone up 180% over the past two wow. decades. That's a problem. Yeah, uh, wages have not uh, kept pace with that. Um, just like with the housing market, this can lead to uh, either a student taking on high amounts of debt or parents eventually caving, uh, caving in to help pay. What usually happens is it's not planned, and so parents end up helping out by dipping into emergency savings or even retirement savings, which is detrimental to their retirement that you diligently saved for. Um, so the fix here is you have to understand that money, where the money is coming, that it's coming from somewhere. What matters is having a plan. 
Next is understanding uh, the costs and communicating how they will be covered clearly can help parents avoid uh, rating your retirement accounts later. I would absolutely say don't do that. And yeah, don't do that. There are lots of ways to pay for college. You need to make sure you're taken yep. care of as you age. Uh, there's cheaper routes for college. You don't always have to go to your number one choice. That's uh, right. And so, yeah. and into that last point, even if you have to take on debt as a in some way, it is better for the kid to take on the debt because you don't have as much time yeah, to save going to and do. pay that off. So yeah, don't don't dip into your retirement. It, you know, it's good to plan. If you can't plan, taking on debt for for student loans isn't the end of the world. Obviously, great if you can avoid it. It's not the end of the world, though. That and this is, yeah, these, these prices are getting out of hand, in my opinion. Yeah, and and sure. it's getting to be a point where, yeah, I mean, you don't have to go to the greatest and best college ever to get a great education. Yeah, and you yeah, can save a lot of money uh, absolutely. and set yourself up for success. Absolutely. Uh, the second assumption here is I should own a home. I thought this one was interesting because you're yeah. in your 40s and 50s. Tell me more. Most people do own their homes, but and also depends on where you live, right? Yeah. Um, you know, here locally in Augusta, it's more common, but if you're in a big city, you know, that that's obviously a very different situation. So, you know, home ownership is seen as a sign of success, stability, but setbacks such as the dot-com bubble, 2008 housing crash have left a higher portion of Gen Xers out of the market than previous generations, which was interesting. So the trouble is if you take on a 30-year mortgage in your 40s and 50s, you know, it could mean big house payments that last well into retirement. Having a mortgage in retirement is something that we often want to uh, help our clients avoid as it can really kind of just hurt your flexibility when you're no longer bringing home a paycheck. And so the the fix here is renting isn't always bad. It really depends on your situation. Putting aside the emotional aspect of owning, you know, if your rental costs are, are lower than homeownership costs and you invest the difference, you really could end up with a higher net worth. So don't discount renting depending on where you're at. Yeah. Um, it, homeowning, homeownership might not be worth it. So the last group here, Ryan, baby boomers. Mm. You know, as more direct beneficiaries of the post-war economic boom, baby boomers have solidly entered retirement age with the support of pensions, Social Security. Um, and so with inflation sticking and interest rates elevated, retirees may need reasons. Uh, sorry, they need, yeah, they guess they need reasons to reassess some of their old plans. So what are some assumptions for baby boomers? Yeah, so the first would be I should downsize to a cheaper area. My parents are actually downsizing their home right now. Yeah. So... There we go. Everyone's heard the stories of retirees moving from expensive urban areas like historically cheaper destinations such as Arizona and Florida. The trouble, uh, the housing market map has changed. Prices in classic retirement havens like Phoenix, Miami, Tampa are near all-time highs. So that's all shifting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the fix, according to this article, is you need to have backups. The idea of selling a house in a pricey location and pocketing the difference by moving to a cheap area is a good one. Uh, but you have to make sure the numbers still add up. So you got to maybe look at other areas, like our area, yep. that might be cheaper for you. Yep. So don't, you know, it's not just a one, one size fit all, fits all. You got to look at your, your area. Uh, the other assumption for baby boomers is I should allocate 100 minus my age to equities. And so a longstanding asset allocation tip for people has been to take 100, subtract your age, and invest that percentage in equities and the mm. other amount, you know, more conservative assets like bonds or some other sorts of uh, fixed income. The trouble is, though, we're, we're living longer and things are getting more expenses, yeah. expensive. So many planners now think baby boomer retirees may need more stock in their portfolios than previous generations. 
Um, <clears throat> so the recommendation now is instead of using 100, use 130, which would increase the amount of stock in your portfolio, hopefully then resulting in higher retirement income. And really, this is depending on how much you have saved. And because, um, you know, if you if you have a lot saved, you, you don't need as much in fixed income because you just need it to last a downturn, really. Um, so I but I think re rethinking this, reassessing this is uh, recommended. And I think that's a good good fix to the, the yeah. assumption. So uh, I've never heard that rule. You've never heard? I've never heard that ever. The 100 rule? Yeah, I've never heard it. So really? we, we have, we've never obviously preached that here. Yeah, that's not what we, we preach I've here. I've never heard it. Oh, wow. So, Look at that. Huh. Okay. I, I don't agree new. with it, but yeah. Um, that was a good article. A lot yeah. of good topics, a little longer, yeah. but really good. So let's move on to the question of the yeah. week. Is what? it too late to benefit from compounding? Yeah, this was, I heard this question. I was listening to a podcast this week. I heard this question. Uh, some, you know, is in late 40s and this guy asked this question. I'm like, you know, that'd be a good question to talk about on the show. And the answer on the podcast I was listening to was no. And I think that's also our answer here. It's never late to take advantage of compounding, largely because you're not taking all your money out in in one year. Even if you're older, even if you're in your, in your late 50s and 60s, your money's still growing as you are taking it out in, in for your retirement needs. And so I think you always can benefit from compounding, even if you don't have the long time horizon of someone in their 20s or 30s. Because you're letting money work passively while you are while you're benefiting from it or taking some income. So, you know, yes, of course, the longer you have to let money grow, the better. But uh, even if you have a shorter window, it still is beneficial and still will create the passive growth and income that that uh, you're looking for. So, yeah, great question. Um, so we're gonna move through the next article. Um, this is tax, the tax-free way to rent out your home. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Laura Sanders, she writes a lot about taxes. Um, so a lot of people in this area are very familiar because it's called the master's exemption. And this is really talking about, very hey, familiar, it's just yeah. not for property owners here in Augusta. So this is a national news organization it talking is. about our famous rule here in Augusta. So, you know, one of the best freebies in the tax code has gotten better for people who don't abuse it. So the shift springs from a recent tax court decision. We're going to talk about that and then move into, you know, what the master's rule is just for those who don't know. Uh, the freebie is a tax code section 280AG, often called the master's exemption, which is worth reviewing um, on its own. It's a long-standing provision allowing people to rent out their homes for two weeks or less and pocket the rental income free of federal taxes. Mm. Awesome, right? That's why Very lots nice. of people here do it. You do it. I'm planning to do it this year. Um, this benefit is often called the master's exemption because residents of our uh, city, Augusta, Georgia, use it to rent their homes to players and fans uh, tax-free during the famed golf tournament, the Masters at the Augusta National. During the tournament, large, lavish homes can rent out for thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars a night. Uh, the exemption is useful far beyond Augusta. People living near events like the Super Bowl, a rock concert, you know, inaugurations, um, any type of big events, you know, can use it. And so it's, yeah, it's a really cool rule. Yeah. And for many, you know, homeowners, that, that really is benefit enough. However, a recent tax court decision permitted a twist on this strategy. It allowed three business owners to rent their homes to their business for meetings, deduct the rent and received rent tax free under the master's exemption. But owners must follow all the rules uh, and they didn't. So here are key facts, according to the opinion Two anesthesiologists and orthopedic salesmen based on the Mississippi Gulf Coast had nearly equal shares in a, 
a Planet Fitness franchise that owned outlets in Louisiana. Uh, the business was organized as an S-Corp, an entity that passes income, credits, deductions, and losses through to the personal return of the owners. Um, the owners said that for convenience, they decided to hold business meetings in their homes during 2015, 2016, 2017. For that, the business paid each one about $3,000 a month in rent and deducted total rent of $290,000 over that period, reducing the firm's taxable earnings. Each owner then claimed the rental income he received from the business um, as, as tax-free under the master's exemption. So hmm. what's the problem with that, Ryan? Well, not so fast, said the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. Um, uh, its agent and lawyer, uh, lawyers pointed out that the going rate in the area was $500 or, uh, for a full or half-day rental of uh, much larger spaces. spaces. Uh, they also said the owner didn't keep good records or uh, sometimes any records at all. So, yeah, you can't quite do that. The judge yep. agreed with the IRS and allowed the total rent deduction of 16500 Much less. Yeah, saying the owners likely adopted a tax-saving scheme. Okay, so they probably abused this rule smidge, right? Yeah. An attorney for the taxpayers in the case said they declined to comment on it. Uh, shocker. Uh, the tax schemes using the master's exemption do happen. Uh, this is according to a CPA uh, who teaches at BYU. Uh, they're, uh, they're a tax dodge, and the pitch is, uh, here's a way to make business income disappear. Um, and you're a chump if you don't. So that's what a lot of people think about this rule and using yep. it for their business. The ploy can be tempting, he adds, because it's hard for the IRS to detect it. The deduction is often one, uh, one of many for the company. And the taxpayer can leave master's exemption rental income off their own returns. You don't even need to file that. Hmm. Okay. Still, it's notable that the judge allowed some deductions rather than none. So that's the interesting point that you can use it. You just can't abuse it. Sure. Um, you know, to be sure, many taxpayers will reap more tax-free income by renting an entire home for someone else than by renting their living room for their business. For everyone interested in the master's exemption, here's a little bit more about it. We're going to talk through the basics. Yeah, yeah. so the basics here is you know, income from a short-term rental or one or more personal residences can be free of both federal income and payroll taxes, although state or local taxes may be due. Um, there's no limit to the amount of income that qualifies. That's interesting. So if the Super Bowl is coming to town or you have a show place, beach, compound, even a six-figure rent could be tax-exempt. Wow. wow. Yeah. Crazy. Time limits, though. By law, the rental period must be fewer than 15 days. This That's important. rule comes with a cliff. If the rental is longer, um, none of the income is tax exempt. You lose all of it, okay? Yeah. And it must be treated like other rental income if you do it over 15 days. Mm -hmm. um, however, the days can be discontinuous, so that means you don't have to do it all at one time, right? You can right. break it up. Yep. Throughout the year, as long as it's under, is that 14-day window. Very, very important. Yep. Yeah. So eligible properties, uh, the property must be a dwelling unit with eating, sleeping, and toilet facilities. So the exemption could apply to the rental of a boat or an RV as well as a house. The property must also be used as a residence during the year, although it doesn't have to be your principal residence. Yeah. On the page three of the publication, so it's 527, if you want to go read about it. <laughs> I do. I'm going to go read go. after this. Yes, that'd yep. be good. Fall asleep. The IRS tells taxpayers not to report the income they earn from these rentals on their tax returns. If a business pays the rental income, however, it may be required to send the owner 
and the IRS a 1099 form reporting it. In that case, uh, the owner can claim the income on the return, subtract it, and attach an explanation. Uh, but you know this may attract IRS attention if we do so. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And because you're receiving no, uh, because you don't have to pay taxes on it, unlike with other rental income, no expenses such as food supplies and utilities are deductible from this. So that's this is an important point. Since you're not paying taxes, since you're not reporting, you can't also get deductions. Uh, however, filers who itemize on Schedule A don't have to dock their deductions for mortgage interest and property taxes as well. So yeah, and so renting a home to one's business, you know, taxpayers who go this route must be scrupulous in obeying the rules. Scrupulous, mm, scrupulous. I like that. It's a good word, isn't it? The main thing here, most people listening to this are not going to utilize this. It's most like you and me who mm-hmm. rent it out and go mm-hmm. during spring break, go on vacation. Yep. Uh, just real quick, give us, you know, I know you you do this. Is I it, do. You know, I know there's a lot of prep. That's what a lot of people don't realize. A lot of prep yeah, goes lot, into it. It's a lot of prep. It's a lot, especially the first year you do it, you got to get all the stuff, the sheets, and you got to figure out, you know, how long it takes and, and what, what you do with your other stuff. And But it's, I mean, it's totally worth it. Uh, especially, yeah. you know, we have young kids. We go on a trip every year. That's kind of going to be our rhythm. Um, it's it's a great way to pay for the trip and and put some, you know, TLC into your home. And um, we enjoyed it. We plan on doing it again until I don't know how long. But yeah, there's a lot of mixed opinions in the area. Some people absolutely can't stand it and they don't want to do it. And then a lot of people do it every year. Um, I mean, we we you know we're fairly organized. We like to be organized. At least it's an excuse to be organized. That's too. true. And we like it. It's like, kind of like a little marker. Uh, for spring cleaning as yeah, well. Yeah, that's know, it, true. It forces you to really go through everything. And, and so we like that aspect of it. So anyway, uh, de- definitely good to know, especially living in this area, uh, that you can take advantage of that that rule. So Absolutely. Really good cool stuff. stuff. Good to kind of review that every once in a while. All right, we're going to close with the RX of the week. Um, so, you know, Hit make, me with it. Yeah, here you go. Make sure, speaking of homes, your home is a blessing and not a curse. Make sure you buy a home that fits into your budget and does not have a payment that squeezes your budget each month, okay? Especially with interest rates rising. Um, be mindful yeah. of the work needed in the projects. It's an emotional decision. A lot of times people buy things that they don't realize how much work has to go into it. And a house talking, is a great example of that, yeah. Yeah, time and money. Um, a house can be very expensive and cause a lot of stress in your life if you do not plan well. Um, so just kind of going back to what we talked about with, with that article you had, um, the main thing is, I'll tell you this, I bought a house this year and I was spending less money when I was renting and I was yep. spending less time working on my rental. So there are trade-offs. We love our home. We love using it for uh, just community and kingdom purposes, but we are spending more money. We are doing more work on Stress. it. And it, you know, but we do Very love it, stressed. you know. Um, so you just got to be mindful of that. Just make sure you're thinking through your budget. Don't just make it an emotional decision for you or you're going to make a big mistake and yep. it's going to become a curse. So just be careful about that, um, especially as you know we're seeing interest yeah. rates go up. Um, so good. Yeah, good. good episode, man. Yeah. So you know this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week. Check us out on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, like I said earlier, moneymd.net, and send us your questions. We love answering those questions for you. You can also give us a call at the firm at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. And we just want to thank you all for listening, and have a great rest of the week. Yeah, have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax 
and legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.